With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. This is part two of a two-part NBA draft episode with Coach Spans, Adam Spinella. Today, we're going to talk about Bronny James. We're going to talk about Mark Cuban's comments on the NBA draft and its future and how he'd like to see the draft expanded. Then we're going to do a mailbag episode. Spins, we're back again. You got changed after the first part of our two-part episode tonight. Uh, I did not. I continued to wear the same, like, just, I don't even know what you call this, sweater, thermal, I don't know. Uh, what, What made... What made you make this adjustment here? Uh, two things. One, I just love screwing with the viewers to make them think that, uh, you know, something might be going <laughs> on here. Like, is this a different day? What's, what's the, they just bang out podcasts every night. The other thing, I record in my basement here, and we, you know, live in a... I've story. always wondered what, what yeah. this is. Okay, here we this go. Is, this is our basement, and it's the uh, bottom of a, a three-story house. So in the summertime, air conditioning has to be on pretty consistently throughout the day in order to heat that top floor, which means when the sun sets down here, it gets kind of chilly. So recording this, you know, just before 11 o'clock PM, uh, my time here in the East coast figured, you know, if we're going to go into the wee hours of the night, I might as well make sure that I am (laughs) covered enough to not have any goosebumps while recording. Kayla is going to just fucking murder me. She's going to like send me, She's going to like send me a knife in the mail over to Australia and be like, if you come to the United States, this is what is waiting for you for keeping Adam awake until 12 o'clock some night. She's reading her. She's reading the book. She is as happy as a clam right now. I guarantee. What what is Kayla reading right now? Some trashy romance novel that I'll never understand. (laughs) Oh man. I'm up to like 25 books this year. I'm pretty excited. There you go. Uh, I'm reading This Will Not Pass, which is the book by Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns right now on the like end of the uh, Trump presidency and the beginning of the Biden presidency. So yeah. that's uh, yeah. that's where I'm at at the moment. But I, I, you didn't come here for book recommendations. We will do movie recommendations at the end of the episode because holy shit, if you have not seen Orphan First Kill yet, uh, that is a wild ride. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about Bronny James to start here because – I think that Bronny is in the midst of one of the most interesting recruitments that I can remember in kind of a number of ways. First and foremost, I think he's good. I think that he is an underrated player based off of where he is ranked via recruiting services. The reason that this is coming up with Bronny right now is that he was seen at the Ohio State Notre Dame game on the sidelines with LeBron uh, last weekend, not the weekend that we were recording. And then some photos on, I believe, his Instagram and, you know, on 
Twitter pages and everything surfaced of him wearing an Ohio State jersey. It's clear that like Ohio State rolled out the red carpet a little bit, and um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what happened in terms of like official visit, unofficial visit. I, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I just know that there are photos circulating of Bronny James wearing an Ohio State uh, jersey, and it seems like. Uh, you know, obviously he was on campus. We know that he was on campus because we've seen photos of him on campus. So that is why his recruitment has turned into a headline generator this week. But throughout the course of this recruitment, it's been a headline generator. And I I have some thoughts on this, but I I do want to talk about Bronny's game in general first, because as I said, I started with this salvo that I think he is a really underrated prospect in this class. I, I, I think that the name LeBron James Jr. Um, has in many ways clouded what he has developed into as a real prospect. And I think that there is this tendency right now to kind of underplay how good he is Uh because of what his last name is, as if it's somehow nepotistic and look like he's the son of a billionaire, right? Like, and he's the son of the best basketball player maybe that has ever played basketball. So of course those vibes are going to be out there for people, but I think that it underset. I think that those vibes work to undersell how good of a player he has become over the course, particularly of the last year, because I I did think that there were some concerns about whether or not he was an NBA player uh, up until this last year or so. I think he's pretty good. Like I I feel pretty good about him playing in the NBA. Now I'm not saying that like, he's like a surefire starting caliber NBA player long-term anything like that. But like, I, I think he is like a real NBA prospect. So Adam, I'll give you the floor. What what do you think of Bronny James's game before we get into like all of the recruitment and everything that's kind of happening here? I, I like his game. I, I really think that, you know, glue guy, like high end ball movers, guys who just kind of make the right play consistently. They don't always stand out in AAU or open floor type of sessions. And I think that's one of the reasons why Bronny might get a little bit underrated is he is, sometimes to a detriment, a guy that makes the right play, the unselfish play yeah. that, that, you know, isn't going to be out there scoring 20 in any type of game, doesn't have that takeover type of prowess to him, but he keeps getting better, a really, really good athlete. And, and that's always yeah. the place. Super the place, athlete. Really good athlete. And, and that's always the place where I start with guys is to see what type of athlete are you, because that colors the picture of what their NBA role is going to be. Are they going to be able to thrive based on their athleticism or do they have to be so skilled and constantly trying to make up for a lack of athleticism? And he, he checks every box that you would look for on that. And some really fantastic dunks uh, just seems to float in the air in some regard can use both hands. Uh, I like, I like his game in that regard. I'm, I'm intrigued to see a little bit more, but I don't think that he is a play with the ball in his hands, number one type of option. He, he's a lot more of a second, third option, you know, really good guard in a consistent rotation of guys who do other things well. And, and that's where he impacts winning at its best level. Yeah. 
I think that that's a good way to put it. I think Bronny James will impact winning. And from a skill perspective, he's a terrific passer. He processes the game at a very high level. Like he processes the game at the level that you would expect to see from LeBron James's child. Like LeBron James is one of the smartest basketball players of all time. I don't know if Bronny is that, but he's really, really smart. And he processes the game very quickly on the court. He's a very good kickout passer. He's a very good quick read passer, just in terms of like keeping the ball moving, playing unselfishly. Uh, he can make catch and shoot jumpers now. Uh, he can drive obviously like in a straight line as well. Cause he's a combo guard. Like he grew up not being six foot three. He's like six foot three ish now, I would say. Um, but he grew up being like a little bit shorter and had to develop like some point guard skills, but he can drive in a straight line now and get to the basket. Cause he is as athletic as spin said. I don't love him as like a pull-up shooter, but I like him as a catch and shoot guy quite a bit. Like I think he will knock those down. He has good shot prep, good mechanics. Um, He's a good defender. He's a really good, he's an effort-based defender. He bothers guys on the ball. He's smart off the ball with some of his rotations. The problem is he's not in North. Like you would love to see this guy be like six foot five or six foot six, right? He's six foot three, and that's going to be an issue for him moving forward. But here's the thing. All of those things that I just said, they're going to make him a really effective freshman college basketball player if he chooses to go the collegiate route. And some of the players that are ranked above him now, I don't really see that for. And some of the players that are ranked above him, I think their games don't quite translate to the NBA in terms of playing off the ball in the way that Bronny's, I think, has potential to at the very least. I actually think Bronny is quite good. Like all, all of this says to me that like this guy should be a top, this guy should be like a five-star prospect. I think at the end of the day, like I think that I know he's not exceptional on the ball, but I think that oftentimes a lot of recruits are overrated based off of their ability to play on the ball, despite lacking skill level that is going to allow them to scale as they move up levels where they're not going to have the ball in their hands as much as they will. Bronny's going to be great without the ball, I think. And he can do a little bit on the ball as a combo guard. Like he's not useless on the ball uh, at all, like because of his passing ability, because of his driving ability, his athleticism. Um, he's going to be really good in transition, I think, particularly. But he is a secondary ball handler, and that ability to knock down a catch-and-shoot jumper I think is pretty important for him. Well, 6'3", as you said, is a tough height to be more of a secondary guy the higher of a level you go. Right. But in, in a college system where he can play alongside different combo guards that are you know, they're the primary, he's the secondary who just makes good reads and, and plays defense, knocks down catch-and-shoot jumpers, it's a perfect role for him. Right. So, so here's what's a little bit weird to me, given all of this, right? I've kind of heard that there are a lot of co- like college coaches that are just like, you know, we don't really want to deal with the hoopla of it all. Um, we don't really want to deal with like just having this guy come in and like take over our game. All, all I've been told about Bronny is that he's like a terrific kid uh, by all stretches like he plays an unselfish brand of basketball like he's not going to come in and be like 
I want 30 minutes. I want the ball in my hands the whole game. Like th- th- from what I gather, there's none of that. Like, but there is going to be a real aspect of typically college basketball. You don't end up on first take until March. Right. But if you have Bronny as a recruit on your team and you're in college, the freshman year, like you're probably going to have first take segments about Bronny. And that's going to be a little bit weird, I think. And I think a lot of coaches kind of want to avoid that. I think that's a mistake. And even if we think Bronny is going to be a one and done because LeBron wants to play with Bronny in the NBA. And it seems like there is some, it, it seems like, you know, maybe they might try and get him to the NBA as quickly as they can. I think that he still will provide value for you as a year one player in college basketball and is worth taking. Like right now, I think based off of 24 seven, I think he only has like three offers. Like I, the 24 seven says Ohio state, USC, Memphis or the offers he has right now. Um, I'll, I'll look at verbal commits in a second and see if that lines up with them as well. But like, I think the team should actually try and recruit him Um, if if he's serious about this. And like, here's the other thing too. Like if he does want to be like, if he wants to go through the college process and like be recruited, especially now that NIL is like a thing, because obviously like Bronny prior to NIL realistically probably could not go the college route just from a financial perspective. Like he was missing out on too much money from an advertisement perspective, from an endorsement perspective, because the social media following is just absolutely astronomically enormous. Right. I think that if he's willing to play college basketball, now teams should really like strongly consider this. He's, he's going to be valuable to you in year one is what I think. And if I was a team that needed a guard, I would do this. Like I, I would, if I needed a good secondary guard, I think he'll be valuable to you year one. And I know that like there's the hoopla aspect of it. And like, you're going to have to deal with that, but I think it's worth dealing with. Like, I think he's good enough to make that worthwhile, even if he's only there for one year. It's definitely a risk reward scenario that, you know, coaches got to go through because you're going to be under a microscope in different ways when you're coaching Bronny. Uh, I think that any coach should be singularly focused on trying to win games. And the great part about Bronny as a person is that he's grown up in under a microscope. He has grown up in these types of circumstances. You don't throw him into college as an 18 year old. And this is his first time trying to figure out how to deal with the media, following him around, having a huge you know, following being the big man on campus that everybody has high expectations for. He's dealt with this his entire life. So to me, there's less of a risk because you know the certainty of the person that comes into your, your basketball program. Now you've got to do things around, you know, the the rest of the team and in different areas. And I, and I get some of the, the smaller complaints that you have, but I'm inclined to agree with you. You take the person and you take the player first and foremost, that you believe is going to help you win games. And that is going to be a valuable part of the culture and and what you're, you're really building. I think Bronny is definitely good enough as a player. 
and in the right fit, the right system where he's surrounded by different guys and isn't asked to do too much, it's definitely something that I would do. Yeah, I agree. Um, look, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if he's going to end up at Ohio State. I don't know. Um, you know, I have no inside information on Bronny's recruitment. I, like, I, I, I just think that coaches should recruit him at the end of the day is what it comes down to. Because, like, it's got to be weird on some level, like, for, like, the kid, the parents. And, like, look, like, again, LeBron James is a billionaire, like, LeBron James's wife, Savannah and Bronny, like they're coming from such an advantageous position that so many prospects are not coming from. And it's worth keeping that in mind. But like, it is also worth keeping in mind, like this is a teenager and he's a young teenager first class, by the way. That's another reason to kind of bet on the upside. Like he's very young for the class. Um, It's got to be weird on some level. Like you have this kid that's very talented and it feels like college coaches are kind of backing off of it, even though he's like, not like a selfish player, not like going to complete, like, like you're going to be able to fit him into your scheme pretty easily, but it, it's just like, it, I empathize a little bit, I guess with Bronny. Like I, I would, I would want, like, I feel like I would want to be recruited if I was Bronny, but it feels like that isn't happening as much as like his talent would dictate. And like, I empathize with like, if, if he's disappointed about that at all, which I don't know, maybe he's not, maybe like they, maybe they just go with the ignite, right? Like, I feel like that ends up still being like a very real potential outcome here. Um, but like I empathize with like his parents as well. Like, you know, this, this whole thing seems so weird. It's such a strange recruitment in so many ways. It's such a high profile recruitment. And I also recognize that I think his talent is a little bit better than what other people recognize, I guess. Um, it, it's, just, it's, it's very fascinating and very odd to construct all of this. Don't you think? It, it definitely is. And, and look, I try to be a little bit more of a glass half full kind of guy. So when college coaches may be a little worried about, you know, the, the media attention and the buzz that would come with coaching a guy like Bronny, I view it as an opportunity to use on the recruiting trail in, in years in the future Hey, LeBron James, one of the smartest and, and greatest basketball players ever to live, chose us to be the the staff, the school, to really yeah. entrust his son's development for a year. That means a lot in terms of what we're able to accomplish and, and the work that we do here on a daily basis. So the, the coaching side of me is seeing this as a great opportunity where everybody should love to have that type of endorsement, but there is going to be not necessarily baggage, but just different circumstances that come along with having anybody like this on your team. Yeah, totally. Uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about with Bronny? Uh, I thought I just, I, it's such a fascinating recruitment. It's the highest profile recruitment that I can remember in a while. I think he's a good player and it felt weird that we hadn't talked about him yet. Um, yeah, I, I actually like, like for instance, looking at 24 seven, Bronny is ranked, 41st nationally uh, as a four-star recruit. Uh, And this is up from where he was in February or no March. It looks like where he was like 54th in the country as a recruit. So like people are kind of moving up a little bit here and there on him, but 
I just, I find the entire thing very, very interesting that there just isn't, there isn't this level of elite, like desire to have him when he's good. Yeah. I don't know what to really make of it all. Uh, I mean, I think perhaps there's this just preconceived notion that he's going to end up going the ignite pathway that he, he wants to take more of a professional approach. I think everything around a guy like Bronny has seemed, um, not professionalized from the jump almost. Exactly. And and with that comes an understanding that he's probably going to end up going that path, but that doesn't mean you don't try and recruit these kids. It doesn't mean that, you know, for once in his life, he might like to have something that resembles a more normal experience. And you can get that when you're a freshman in college in ways that you can't when you're, you know, training in California year round. So uh, who knows how this is going to shake out for what Bronny's interests are. But I, I agree with you. I'd, I'd like to see him get a little bit more interest from a lot of these schools, as well as some mainstream hype for just how solid of a player he is in, in many regards. Yeah. And like, I, I think that I wanted to take some time to, to just actually talk about his game. Cause I feel like so much of what is discussed with Brownie is not his game. Uh, he's actually like, I think that it gets underrated. He's good at basketball. Like, yeah. This is not to me a like Jeffrey Jordan or Marcus Jordan no. situation. Like no. he's actually really good and should be respected as a player uh, in a high, at a high level as a real chance to play in the NBA, like on his own merits, not on just like the fact that LeBron wants to play with his kid in the NBA. Um, but yeah, well, let's, let's move on. Let's talk about. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So When I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y 
to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Mark Cuban's comments to Mark Stein over the weekend. Uh, I want to give uh, Mark Stein the credit here because it's, uh, I believe it was him that talked to Mark Cuban about this. Uh, certainly he's the first person I saw these comments from. And Mark Cuban said, I'll, I'll give you the floor. Do you, do you have what Cuban said? I don't know if I have the exact tweet up. I can certainly get there, but it was in the context of talking about uh play you know mid-season tournament about what the stakes might be for a team that wins doesn't win that was in the context of you know why would we as dallas want not want to take the opportunity to rest our players and then he had mentioned that he can foresee the draft expanding to include a third and even a fourth round in the coming years yep so i'm pulling up mark stein's twitter feed now because mark is the one that got it so there are quotes, there are quotes circulating about an in-season tournament. Apparently Cuban's views were old. Um, he's open to it. Um, and it has a chance to build interest. He told Mark Stein that he's a proponent of expanding the NBA draft from its current two rounds to four and proposing that the winner of an NBA in-season cup gets the top pick in both the third and fourth round of an expanded draft with the proviso that the picks can't be traded. Um, Seems interesting on some level to me, but the interesting part of this is the idea of expanding the draft, which is something that has come up somewhat often, I guess, throughout the course of discussing the draft. Uh, What was your immediate reaction just when you hear the idea of expanding the draft from two rounds to four rounds? I think everything needs to have a purpose, right? I I always try to think about the why. And we're not just expanding the draft because we think there are other good players out there. And it gives teams an opportunity on a team-controlled contract to take a couple more swings at guys. Like the, The players need to find some way to get benefit from the restriction of their free, you know, their agency in some regard. Because when the, the second round ends after pick 60, guys ha- who are undrafted can choose what team they play for. Who do they sign with? What, you know, what offers are they really getting out there? And then their agents sit down and try to find the best destination. When you add 60, or you know, if there's expansion with a couple more NBA teams in the coming years, 64 more draft picks to this, there are a lot of young players that are losing out on choosing the opportunity that might be best for them in their development. So if expanding the draft from a team perspective is something that we're going to do, I want to put a lot of time and energy into thinking about what is it that the players get in return yeah. other than just getting drafted and maybe a slightly higher guarantee of, of having, you know, more guaranteed money. What is it that they get as a result of something like this? I could not agree more with that. And 
the reason that I think it's important to figure that out ahead of time is if you look at the draft right now, we just need to be realistic about how many valuable players there are in a single draft, right? John Hollinger tends to say there are about 20 guys in every draft that there are that become difference makers based off of his research. Anecdotally, that sounds about right to me. Uh, you never know which guys are going to be difference makers, which is why the draft ends up being so fun. But that anecdotally sounds about right to me. You look through the second round, you particularly look through the last 15 picks of each second round. The hit rate is about 10%. Uh, it's something like that. Just in terms of guys not necessarily getting guaranteed deals, but like sticking after that first contract and becoming like a valuable player on some level. There are a lot of, there's a lot of talk about like Manu Ginobili and guys like that that figure it out, Isaiah Thomas. But for every one of those guys, there are 10, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of like, like Charles Bassey just got, uh, did Charles Bassey get cut? I don't know. Um, he Like they just signed Montrez Harrell though, and his pathway to playing time is blocked completely. Like go back through the 20, you know, 19 NBA draft where these guys have, you know, basically matriculated through their opening contracts. I mean, number 46, Taylor Horton Tucker. There's your like one that has been successful financially. He went 46. Iggy Brazdakis, Terrence Mann. There's a second one. This is a good one. But Quindari Weatherspoon, Jarrell Brantley, Tremont Waters, Jalen McDaniels, Justin Wright Foreman, Mary Alshayok, Kyle Guy, Jalen Hands, Justin Bone, Mie One, uh, Mie Oni, uh, Juan Hernandez and Vanya Marinkovic from 49 downward in this class. Jalen McDaniels is really the only guy that I think has a chance to like get a next deal. Uh, in 2018, DeAnthony Melton went 46th. Great. He's going to get a few more contracts. Svi Luke is like a borderline NBA player. Keita Bates, the up borderline player. Chemezi Metu like maybe figured it out. Um, and maybe sticks at some point. Uh, he played okay late last year, but 50 on downward. Alizé Johnson, Tony Carr, Vince Edwards, Devin Hall, Shake Milton, Arnoldus Koboka, Ray Spalding, Kevin Hervey, Thomas Welsh, George King, Costa Santetacumpo. Again, that's really only one guy from 50 on downward and Shake Milton that really has a chance to stick now beyond that next deal. You know, we can go back further let's go to you know 50 on downward right um matthias lasort monte morris there's your one from 2017 edmund sumner kadeem allen alec peters nigel williams goss jabari bird sasha vizankov uh ognan yaramaz jaron blossom game alpha kaba uh you know sasha vizankov frankly is the guy that might have the best chance to stick hasn't played in the nba yet maybe never will but like very good player at the very least but you see right like we're talking about like one in ten basically when you get from 50 on downward in terms of guys that stick in the nba beyond a first contract and that has to be considered when talking about expanding into drafts three and four and what would the end result be if we don't change any of the factors right now that are contextual about the draft, right? If we change nothing systematically within the draft, uh, 
what would end up happening is there would just be a ton of stash picks because at the end of the day, agents are not all that interested in sending their guys to the G League because they can get better deals overseas. Like, would you rather make a hundred thousand or you know seventy five thousand dollars American to play in Australia, or would you rather make thirty five thousand dollars to play in the G League as a stash player, which is about what it would be? I know what the answer is Uh, for me. I would rather make more money. Uh, It's tricky. Like it's a really, really tricky process. If they don't do anything systemically to change the way that things go, if you do want to do this in terms of expanding the draft, the critical part of this is not only making it so that the G league has a single affiliate for every team and making a true minor league system. You also need to pay the players more. You need to expand the money that you're giving to minor league players. And there isn't a whole lot of interest in that from what I gather. Um, Like if I told Mark Cuban, like, okay, if you're going to do this, you're, if we're going to expand the draft and your idea is going to go into play it's going to cost you, you know, $50,000 more per player on your roster. So 15 times 12 or 50 times 12 is $600,000 a year. So is Mark Cuban still interested if he has to pay $600,000 more per year? I'm in favor of expanding salaries for G League players. Like I think that that is something that unequivocally should happen regardless but being realistic, like, is this something the owners are going to agree agree to is my point here. Given that there are some owners that don't even want a G League team, I have some skepticism on whether or not owners will agree to expanding this in the way that I think they would need to in order to expand the draft and make it a worthwhile endeavor for anybody. Right, right. And you also have to think about, you know, G League Ignite, about, uh, you know, if a team like Mexico City is going to stay where, you know, non-affiliate teams are in there. I know they've had G League Select uh, programs before. Those come out of the collective salary here. Let's let's also bring up, you know, the NBA is currently 30 teams. I, I think it's no secret that there's a potential for expansion in the future with Seattle, with Las Vegas, with getting up to 32 that eats into revenue sharing numbers for, for everybody. It, everyone gets a little bit smaller of a slice of the pie. So you've got to be really secure financially and, and feel like this is the right move to make. I wouldn't be shocked if it comes up in a collective bargaining discussion about, hey, are we trying to expand the, the draft? Do we want to have greater control and, and pay for uh, you know, G League players and have that be a true minor league affiliate system. Given how baseball has trended over the last couple of years, I'm sure that conversation needs to be happening from a players union standpoint. But who wants to give up the money that they currently have? Players that are in the NBA in the in the players union need to be somewhat defensive of trying to keep that smaller so that each player gets a larger slice of whatever they collectively bargain. Same thing goes for the owners it's really hard to entice people to willingly not necessarily take less money, but allow more people in to potentially take a piece of that pie. Uh, There, there are a lot of financial and collectively bargained obstacles to making that really happen, but no doubt first and foremost, it has to be G league expansion and raising salaries. You you can't have 
more draft uh, rounds without really having that. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought up the idea of the collective bargaining aspect of this, particularly in regard to who would go to bat for this, right? Are the owners going to go to bat for paying $600,000 more per year or whatever it would cost could cost more, could cost slightly less. Um, Are they going to go to bat for that? I'm skeptical to be honest. Would the players go to bat for it? Because at the end of the day, what's happening here is you'd be saying, look, we're going to give younger players more money and we're going to give them less control over their careers. But we're also going to be taking money out of the potential pool for current NBA players. Which, given the fact that G League players are not in the NBA Players Union, some of them are, some of them have played in the NBA, um, and some of them like shuttle back and forth, but it's not a large percentage of the players in the Players Union. I am skeptical that the players would go to bat for this as an idea. I, I don't know that it makes sense for them in regard to expanding the draft. So, I think there are just a number of factors that as it currently stands, maybe the influx of all of this TV money, once we know what that officially looks like, maybe that changes things a little bit. Maybe that changes like the amount that people are willing to like loosen the purse strings in some way. But given where we stand right now, I find it hard to believe that either side of the table in terms of the stakeholders would have interest in doing this on a grand scale. Maybe I'm wrong. I I like the idea of like, ultimately this conversation from Mark Cuban came up because he wants to reward the team that wins the, um, wins the play in tournament with something, something from an asset level, something substantial. I think that's a great idea. I think they should be rewarded with something. I just, I don't know what that is at this point. Um, and on top of it, like, are the current players really going to want to like help the development of young guys to potentially push out some of the older players in the league currently? That doesn't really sound like something that is advantageous. None of this sounds advantageous for anybody to me is kind of my point here, I guess, is what I'm struggling with. And I think if you expand the draft, if you have a need for NBA franchises to extend their control over more players in their their contracts, then it's got to be driven by an urgency that the developmental system we have right now is threatened or isn't working. I think it's as great as it's ever been, Sam. European yeah. players are thriving overseas and are really prepared to make an early impact in NBA careers. The proliferation of G League Ignite and overtime elite type of programs are providing players different alternative pathways to choose really what's best for them and still be able to be seen and scouted thoroughly on an NBA level. The league isn't desperate for a type of reform in a way that would make the G League be the sensible alternative to just take all of this development under its umbrella. Baseball has different challenges. That's why the minor leagues have always been so large, you know, having triple A, double A, single A, they need that development opportunity because it's not coming elsewhere. Basketball doesn't have the same problem. 
And because of that, I just, I have a really hard time envisioning owners or players saying, you know what, there's enough of a threat out there that we need to address this issue. And the draft is the right way to do so. Yeah. If there aren't any adjustments in that way, look, I'm, I'm in favor of expanding the G league of making it a more realistic financial pathway for players of doing whatever uh, the league can to pay those guys more. Like I am so in favor of that. I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, Just from a labor perspective, I think that it makes so much sense to invest more money in that. And I would be in favor of doing that. And if that ends up being the case, great. I'm in. Like, I, I think that it would be better for the league. I think it'd be better for these play for these, you know, mid lower tier professional players to um, upper tier uh, European, uh, Australian, et cetera, players, right. Uh, that aren't quite NBA players, but, you know, look, I think providing more money for those guys, providing better pathways, I'd be all for it, period. Um, I just don't know that there are, I just don't know that it makes sense for any of the NBA, for any of the two stakeholders that matter in this for it to happen. Having said that, Adam Spinella, you have come up with some things that you would do in order to, if this was going to happen, and it was decided regardless that it was going to happen. Say that the two sides get together and I'm just wrong that there is plenty of traction on this from both sides and they love it. What would you like to see implemented if it was decided that the draft would expand to three and four rounds? Yeah. So let's just go with four really quick kind of bullet points here. Number one, you definitely mentioned with, it's required for every NBA franchise to have a G League affiliate and to fund it a little bit better and more properly. That you can't have a system where you're stockpiling this many young players year after year with extra rounds of the draft without treating them fairly and having a place to put them and develop them. The second thing for me is increasing the protections for second round draft picks to differentiate the value between what they might be given as opposed to, uh, you know, third or fourth round guys. So if maybe you limit uh, two-way signings to multi-year deals for guys who are, are second round picks so that if they end up getting taken in that round, it is now a two-year contract where they're on a two-way automatically, something like that. Maybe more money, more guaranteed things to trigger. Mm. People smarter than me might be able to figure that one out. That the two year two way is a bad idea. I will say that because there's no guarantee on two ways for the most part. It, it would have to be just guaranteed contracts. Sure. Then, or like you would come up maybe with like a lower minimum for second uh, second round picks, where it's like if you sign as a second round pick, you're guaranteed seven hundred thousand dollars instead yeah. of like the nine fifty that you're currently guaranteed as. So, so or like if you're picked after forty five, you're guaranteed that something like that. But yeah, yes, I, the general premise of this good. It, it, that's why you're here, right? Smarter people than me, like I said, who need to be able to figure out a lot of these things. I, part three of this is adding additional two-way contracts, that the value of an NBA team is having the flexibility to bring the guys who earned their way through performing well in the G League up onto an NBA roster for some sort of a tryout period. 
that the flexibility actually benefits the players to go back and forth. And while you might think it's just advantageous for the franchise to choose, well, okay, our big men are hurt. We've got four two-way spots. We always use one of them for a big guy. Let's pull him up for this series of games. That helps the NBA team, but it helps to have more NBA exposure for these guys. Yep. And the last one for me, and this is uh, something that I picked up on from Cuban and I think is on the right right frame of mind here, is to not be able to use these as trade assets pre-draft or in any type of trade that would have to do with a player under a standard NBA contract. But I think right now, you know, we're already in a, in a spot where trading of future draft picks and all the protections and things get, that go on to these complicate matters and trades. While there has to be a realistic understanding that third and fourth round picks are very, very unlikely to pan out into anything tangible. Uh, so I would use these as simple investment strategies for the long term developmental ideas and not a tangible trade asset that can go out in any type of deal for a player under a standard contract. Those are the four starting blocks for me. At the end of the day, I just don't think these players would be like wildly valuable in the trade market. So like, I I don't, I get your point. I don't really have a problem if they're able to be traded, not able to be traded after they're picked. This is, Um, you know, at the end of the day, like I think that, maybe these picks shouldn't be allowed to be traded if only because like the rules on like trades where if you're involved in a three-way trade or you're involved in like a salary dump, there's like the touching rule where like each team has to like touch the other team with some sort of asset in a trade. So like, you know, if it's a three team deal, someone has to send along a pick to each team Right. So like, even if your main players that you're getting are from one team, you have to send like a mini second round pick to the other team, um, like very, very lightly protected. Um, I think maybe after these players are traded or are signed, maybe you could move them because honestly, like it could be beneficial for players to like be able to request trades sure. or like be moved and things like that. Um, but maybe before they're used, yeah. like you can't, you can't do that. Yep. Yeah. I'm on board with that. And, and again, I keep trying to come from this, uh, at this from a perspective of trying to protect what's best for the players, right? Yeah. One yep. one area that I've thought of here are NBA out clauses in a lot of these contracts of finding a way to protect those guys who get drafted in these areas and are under some sort of a team-controlled deal but perform way better than they were expected, You know, killed it down in the G League. Is there an opportunity for them to end up getting an NBA type of deal without really punishing the team that signed them and developed them in some regard, or without leapfrogging uh, the freedom of movement that some second round players have. Because I think that's a sticky situation you have to be aware of. You can't make it more enticing to be a early third round pick than to be a late second rounder. That's, that's just something really hard to get right. Well, Um, and that's how it is right now. It's more valuable to go undrafted than it is to be a 45 to 60 picked player as someone like Austin Reeves showed. Like if Austin Reeves balls out this year, he's going to get paid like at a pretty high level. Taylor Horton Tucker, because the Lakers valued him and he was out after two years, got paid $10 million a year. Like 
you know, that, that's a that's a lucky one, but that's not going to happen all the time. Uh, guys that go undrafted like Lou Dort, uh, Lou Dort just signed a five year. What is it? Seventy five, eighty million dollar contract. Yeah. Like if he gets drafted 47th, that probably doesn't happen because he's probably under team control again. Like, yeah, it's much more valuable to go undrafted right now. We would want to avoid that. Uh, we'd want to make the draft more of a meritocracy again. I wrote about this in f- fucking 2017. I swear to God, I think it was 2017. Um, the second round of the NBA draft has gotten back toward being a little bit of a meritocracy, but it's still not really a meritocracy at the end of the day. Um, we need to get it back as close as we can to that, in my opinion, at the very least. I think it would be beneficial. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And, you know, that's why I think of like NBA out clauses for some of these guys, if they end up performing really well, let's say it becomes almost like an in-season offer sheet where I'll use an an example from this past year's draft. You know, Kenny Lofton ends up going in the earlier part of the, the third round and plays really, really well for Memphis. He's on one of their you know, team-controlled third-round pick contracts. If another NBA team is willing to offer him a multi-year deal and the equivalent of a veteran minimum salary, let's just set it at that level, then he shouldn't be punished for having performed real, really early on. And they might be able to poach him away. Now, the cost of doing so and signing him to that offer sheet would then be that team's future third round selection. So if it'd have um, to be more like a, it'd have to be a second or something. It'd have to be higher than that. Yeah. But I understand your point. Yeah. It's a second rounder. It's a future draft asset that in order to say, you know what, I'm going to forego a future pick to take this third rounder or fourth rounder that I believe has panned out now. And again, it's an offer sheet. So Memphis in this situation would have the chance to match that deal, create some sort of a roster space and be able to keep Lofton if that was what the demand for him was. You shouldn't be able to do this midseason. Uh, maybe it'd be the end of every season. Okay. But I don't mind this. Um, I think it's an interesting uh, look. Let me be clear. NBA teams would never go for this. Right, no <laughs> doubt. Tell you this, that this is a major player protection thing that no team would want. Yeah. Um, but I love the idea. I, I think it's a great idea. Um, interesting. It's an interesting strategy. Yeah. It'd be like an offer sheet. It'd be like a restricted free agency offer sheet, basically. You make them all restricted free agents. So, right. yeah, I love it. I mean, and, and to me, I think there's value in maybe it's not something that's fluid throughout the year, but – you know, the G League has that annual tournament that they're running in the middle part of their season. If you want to open up something like that for a 10-day period right after that that tournament, that would be really fascinating because it happens to coincide a lot with some of the you know mid-season full guarantee trigger dates that happen with contracts. I think that there yeah. might be a level to be able to, you know, finagle in that regard. Okay. Let's get into some more mailbag stuff. Yes. I think at the end of the day, look, are we really in favor? Of, we're not really in favor of expanding the draft, right? No, I mean, I, I'd love to put together a top 160 board someday and have it actually be taken seriously because it all might matter. But no, like it's it's not good for anybody uh, 
let's keep things the way that they are right now until a need actually shows itself to address this issue. Yeah. I, I think that's where I sit on this as well. I don't see the need for it at this point. Um, I like the idea, like if you win the in-season tournament, like I would go even a step farther than Cuban. I would say like you get the top of the second round, like of the draft like that, that seems like a real benefit, but the yeah. problem is there. Like, I think that like, you're just replacing a player then. So like, would the players be happy about that? I don't know. Cause that guy's definitely getting signed, but like if the league really wants to reward a team, I'm good with like a supplemental pick between the first and the second round. I think that like that totally works for me um, as a real, uh, a real value add for a team to do that. Agree. Okay. Let's go to the mailbag. We got some good stuff here from half a mil for bail. Would love your take on the everlasting Giannis debate and the internet's obsession with skill. Look, I, this, this like Hooper versus like whatever basket. Giannis is so fucking good at basketball. Are you kidding me? Like Giannis is so like, look at Giannis's footwork. It's unbelievably skilled. Look at Giannis's ability to handle the ball at six foot 11. Tell me anybody else that can six foot 11 that can handle the ball like that. Other than Kevin Durant, like his passing ability is really high level. He makes good passing reads. He is an, he is an exceptional processor of basketball. Like he is a smarter basketball. Like the guy he's often compared to here is Kyrie Irving, right? Giannis is a smarter basketball player than Kyrie Irving. In my opinion. Uh, you watch the way that he rotates defensively. You watch the way that he processes the game around him. Uh, you watch the way that he understands. Like, look, Kyrie is a hooper, and I don't mean to take anything away from Kyrie's IQ. I think Kyrie is an incredibly smart basketball player. But Giannis is a different dude. Like, it's crazy to me that we have these conversations is Giannis skilled Giannis is ridiculously skilled Giannis is one of the most skilled guys in the league like I get that he can't shoot but there's so much more to basketball than shooting uh and like he he, oh yeah he doesn't like have the ability to you know break down a guy off the bounce with like a crossover in between to an in between the legs to a hezzy like into this he doesn't need it He's six foot eleven with a seven foot seven wingspan. He's just blowing by guys. He's stronger than everyone in the league. You know why he doesn't have it? He doesn't need it. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous conversation. It's it's much it's ado like, about nothing. And I would be frankly like very interested to see. So Giannis is somewhere around. We talked about this last week, right? Giannis is somewhere right now, if he would retire, ballpark, top 30 player of all time. Like, he's going he's gonna to end up in the top 10, in my opinion, by the time his career is over. But right now, if he would retire, his six-year peak is arguably better than, like, all but, like, 10 or 12 guys all time. Four first-team All-NBAs, two MVPs, led a team to a title in that run as the best player on the team finals MVP had like a 50 point closeout game in the finals. Like his, his six year peak is better than all, but like 
Like they're legit, like at most 15, maybe more like 10 guys all time. Right around that ballpark in terms of career value is Kevin Garnett. Something like that. Kevin Garnett's six-year peak was four first-team All-NBA teams, best player on a title team on the Celtics team, um, didn't win finals MVP, won one MVP in that that time frame. So I would say Giannis's peak is just a little bit better, but it's ballpark, right? Would we be having this conversation about who is – like who is a better basketball player, Kevin Garnett or Kyrie Irving? Who is a more skilled best basketball player, Kevin Garnett or Kyrie Irving? No, we wouldn't, right? Like nobody would ever dare bring that up, right? Uh, Sam, this is this is the doldrums of the offseason right here, having all these Hooper versus basketball player conversations. Like at the end of the day, let's not punish a guy whose athleticism is his best skill and attribute that doesn't mean that he doesn't have anything else to bring to the table. And too many times we look at guys who are absurd athletes and have all these natural gifts and think that they're successful despite a lack of skill. It is very much not the case. They are successful because they combine skill with their natural tools. Yeah. And I I mean, no disrespect at all to JaVale McGee. When I say this, like JaVale McGee has carved out an awesome career. He's won a title like, he was like a top 20 pick in the draft has stuck around for like 15 years at this point. He, he, he has had a great career. I I don't mean this, but like JaVale McGee is an incredible athlete. He's seven foot tall has like a seven foot six wingspan, not like terribly dissimilar in terms of like explosiveness to Giannis and like all of that stuff. Right. Why isn't JaVale McGee on us? Because he's, not as skilled as Giannis, right? Like who, who would have thought it, right? Um, you go back and you watch like early JaVale McGee highlights. JaVale was a freak show athletically. Why, why is DeAndre Jordan not Giannis? DeAndre Jordan is an absolute freak show athletically. Unbelievable explosiveness, power. He doesn't have the skill. doesn't have the coordination. Like, and this is no DeAndre Jordan made three All NBA teams. Like this is not disrespect to DeAndre Jordan either. But like, yeah, no, this is it's a ridiculous conversation. It is. Uh, I think it's offensive to Giannis's actual skill level that this is something that continues to be brought up. I think it's patently absurd. Seconded. Okay. Next up. Let's go to this question here from Garrett Johnson, half awake takes, which highly regarded college freshman do you feel most in the dark about heading into this upcoming season? It's a really good question. It's a great question. I think. Yeah. Yeah, Shout out to you, Garrett. That's a great question. Garrett, I'm going to go with, Adem Bona at UCLA. Um, I, whether it's fault of my own or not, haven't seen a ton of film on him as much as I should or have on on other guys who are potential one and done type Mm -hmm. of prospects. I think there's always something different about walking into a situation like he is at UCLA where there are a lot of upperclassmen that are going to be on that team and high expectations from day one of needing to make defensive rotations. 
I think his game is much more suited for the pro level than it is for college. I'm not sure how to make sense of what we're going to see on the college floor this year as a result of that. I'm just, I'm very out in left field as to, you know, is he a one and done? Is he a first round guy? If he is a one and done, what type of skill set does he have on the defensive end of the floor that I really see translating to the NBA? There's a lot of questions for me that I haven't put the time into answering. So I, I think I'm a little bit in the dark on him. The answer for me is JJ Starling. I just haven't seen much of them. Yeah. Like it's, it's just a blind spot for me at the end of the day. Like a lot of these guys are like blind spots. Um, you know, for me at a certain point, um, JJ Starling is the 22nd rated recruit coming into the season, uh, was a McDonald's all American, like very highly regarded player. I just haven't seen enough of him. Like I know he's a combo guard. I know he's very skilled. Um, like I, from what I gather, like kind of a guy that like is very efficient and economical, like in his play, but like, again, I, I just don't like, is he explosive enough to create offense at a high level at college? Like, is he uh, a good enough defender to like not give too much back? I just haven't seen enough. You know what I mean? So like if someone asks like why you haven't talked about JJ Starling much going into the season, that's why um, I'm not going to have eyes on like literally uh, I'll have eyes on prospects and I've seen a little bit of JJ Starling, but like, I'm not going to have a fully formed opinion of a lot of these guys. until I see them in college. Like it, it's, the pre-college year is so important. And then if someone like totally breaks out, I'll go back. Like I very lucky that I have synergy. Like I can go back and like get the full context of who they were. I can make phone calls. Like it's, I try to get eyes on as many guys as I can, but there are just going to be blind spots at the end of the day going into a season. Um, Especially now with like transfer stuff. Cause a lot of my time, um, you know, March, sometimes uh, going into April, like during the exhibition circuit where you have McDonald's, you have hoop summit, you have Jordan brand, you have X, Y, and Z like games. Like a lot of that time is now taken up by transfer portal stuff. And I get a little bit less time to do stuff now. So um, there are a few of them. I would say JJ Starling is probably the one that stands out most though to me. Okay. Let's go to a good one uh, from Thunderdraft. Outside of Wembenyama, Derek Lively, and Kalel Ware, are there any other big prospects you think have first round potential in 2023? As I bring up my spreadsheet here to think about it, I think it's always worth noting that how we define big is a conversation that's continually changing because a lot of these mm-hmm. guys have you know, skill in ways that we haven't seen before. Like even somebody like, you know, Victor Kalel Ware are much more skilled and can play maybe some minutes at the four. Whereas when I think of a big, I think of a, a true five and, yeah. you know, Mobley. Yeah. Like, like Baba Miller right now is listed as a center on 24 seven. I would not consider no. him for something like this at all. Right. So it, we've got to be careful with how we define that. I don't want to spend the time necessarily going through that. Like, you know, is Gigi Jackson somebody that can play the five or his best position might be as a smaller five potentially, but I wouldn't consider him as, as a big in this conversation. Uh, no. I'll give one name of somebody who I think has actual first round potential. James Naji plays for Barcelona, international big man, really athletic screen and roll 
type of, of upside for him and, and really good defensive numbers when he was playing up with the, the A club there in, in Barcelona last year. I, I have expectations that he's going to continue to grow, but I have been fooled before by Spanish big men in August who I believe are going to be great defenders and then end up getting drafted in the late 50s. Yeah. So like Khalifa Jop is a guy that like, you know, teams had high level of anticipation for, but ended up being, you know, he drafted 39th, but um, I had him at like 70, something like that. Uh, it was pure stash from Cleveland. Uh, I do want to mention Kyle Filipowski. I think there is like a real chance that Kyle Filipowski's offense is so good this year that he's worth drafting in the first round. Uh, that he is a very skilled player. He can handle the ball. He can shoot. He has great post footwork. Um, passes well like he he's a very very skilled offensive player and if a team took him like in you know the back half of the first round that would not blow my mind he's if he shoots like 40 percent from three at volume this year like he's an interesting player for sure and and competitive Um, as hell too really really competes not as poor of a lateral defender as you might think when you're eyeing him up like he's he's a good guy yeah. Bona is one that you brought up. I've heard really good things out of like people that have seen him at, um, I believe it's called the student activity center. Now at UCLA, um, during the off season runs. Uh, I think that is like a pretty interesting response to this. And we just talked about him, um, in spins his answer to this last question. The last guy I'll bring up, I was never really a big fan of Ariel hook Porty. Uh, prior to him getting to Melbourne United last year. He was really good for Melbourne United last year, like really, really effective in the minutes he played. And he, I believe, is going to be able to play even more minutes this year because uh, I believe that Joe Lawal Chul has departed and gone where? Where is he playing? Uh, I'm not sure, but he's not currently signed to Melbourne United at the very least. Um Ariel Hookporty is a very good rim protector now. Uh, real athlete. He's lost some weight and has gotten into better shape and has some like real bounce as a rim runner. I'm pretty sure he's not a first rounder. I think he's probably more of a second round stash. But like, if you're looking for an international player with like a bit of upside, if he had a big year in Australia this year, I wouldn't be surprised. I would say. Interesting. Uh, okay. Next up. What do we got here? We've got, so Sean Sherbs asked, rank the 10 young players who've never made an all-star game that you think can make the leap this season. I'm going to do that later this off season as a podcast. Like that's a full episode to me. Yeah. Um, here, let's see here out of these four moves. This is from Aurier to go or Orion Aurier needs to go, uh, which I believe is going to be about surge Aurier. Uh, Best move of the summer among these four moves. Timberwolves getting Rudy Gobert, Atlanta getting DeJounte Murray, Boston getting Malcolm Brogdon, or Cleveland getting Donovan Murray. Rank one through four on a cost-benefit analysis, basically. Wow, I haven't done a cost-benefit analysis in this grad school, so this will be fun. Um, Cleveland won for me. I think the Donovan Mitchell deal was probably the most impactful long-term for the organization. I can see it extending their title window as well as prying it open. Two for me, Rudy Gobert to Minnesota. 
I think it's the right move that they have to take um, in order to make a push for the playoffs with some of the really good players that they already have. Three, DeJounte to Atlanta, and four, Malcolm Brogdon to Boston, simply because they already have the star infrastructure in place. I think he waters down his game more than any of the other three players that we talked about to fit the situation that he's heading into. I would have Donovan number one for sure. I think I would go Brogdon too. If only because I think Minnesota and Atlanta gave up more than Rudy and DeJounte are worth. Um, And I would have Rudy three DeJounte four. Uh, And I think that Rudy is like very close for what it's worth. Like I, I Rudy at, two or three, I think is like reasonable. Um, I, I would have DeJounte last because I'm a little bit more worried about what that offensive fit looks like than some people are. Um, especially given what the cost was. Like if it was like a first round pick, even like if it was, I remember if, like before this deal happened a few years ago, I think in the 2020 draft, I said like, I wonder if Atlanta could get DeJounte Murray for the number six overall pick, Right before DeJounte is like real, real breakout. Right. And Atlanta fans were like, no way. Like that's a lot for DeJounte Murray. I was like, I don't know. Like it's, you know, this isn't a great draft and DeJounte is pretty good. Like uh, it feels like a reasonable outcome for me. Uh, If it was that I'd be like, sure. But Atlanta gave up a lot of flexibility long-term to be able to do this. And there's like, I think a real question is to whether or not they can play together. Like everyone is talking about the Rudy Carl Towns fit in terms of like, how does that combination work? I'm actually a little bit more worried about the DeJounte Trey combination because both of those guys really like having the ball in their hands and don't do a ton when they don't have the ball in their hands. Um, Offensively, that is at least. So DeJounte is an incredible defender and that needs to be accounted for here. But yeah, that, that would be how I'd rank them personally. Have you, have you seen any questions here that we've gotten that we have to answer? You know, there was one question and I don't have it pulled up, but it's a question that I cannot answer. It is really only for you. And I need to be able to find it here because it was to okay. me, the, Let, let's the one do, question. let's do that one last. All let's right, do that one. Got last. It. Let me find it. Okay. First. The, yeah. The the last the second to last question we'll answer is what is your ultimate big three lineup? You can take any player from any era at any point in their career. So three on three lineup, basically. Oh, that's a hard question too. Ultimate from any era and any time period. I mean, straight up, I think the most creative scorer, if you have more space on the floor, is Allen Iverson. Uh, I it's going to be hard for me not to want Allen Iverson as a guard on my team just for offensive purposes. And that's tough because you, you need a little bit of size with it too. And I, I think know. I have mine. I okay. I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you go first then. Cause I got to think about, you know, if I get Iverson, I got to commit to a certain play style and I'm not sure if I want to do that. So you, you go first. My immediate response is Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kevin Durant. Okay. Because that's Kevin Durant's size, LeBron James, like strength and physicality and ability to come over from the weak side, and then Michael Jordan's scoring ability 
in defensive ability. I think I'm overthinking it too much without a, without a doubt. I, I'd probably do the same three. If there was maybe one substitution that, that I would put forth, it would be trying to find a way to add Steph Curry to one of these teams, but I don't yeah. know who I'd subtract to make that happen. So, yeah. My childhood love for AI will die here, and I will just make the diplomatic and right answer of going with <laughs> some combination of three of those four. Yeah, like I'm trying to decide like some of the some of the bigs, right? Like could you go Akeem? Could you go Tim Duncan in some way? Obviously Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell. I think I in 3 on 3 where there's so much open space, I think I would just go for the super skill that Kevin Durant provides, but I oh man, this is a good one. This is a yeah. really good one. What what about uh LeBron KD and Giannis just for yeah I thought about more length yeah 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 I yeah yeah I still think I would take Jordan but that's a good one I mean we're leaving off the in my opinion best player ever so it's yeah there's that is a good question yeah like Kareem becomes an interesting one here too like like could you do Kareem Jordan and someone else like you'd probably want like a flexible two-way wing at that point again like hmm yeah kareem jordan lebron like you could do that i guess that'd be great too but kevin durant's just such a valuable guy to have in a three-on-three situation because he can score over the top of anybody he spaces the floor well and he's a good help side defender like he's just to me, he's the perfect guy to have. Yeah, like as someone that's seen like Kevin Durant in like offseason runs, it, it, it's it's hard to explain how much better Kevin Durant is than like other basketball players. Kevin Kevin Durant is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, like some of the stuff that he does is special. Like it's just like truly, truly special. Like his balance, his coordination, like. His ability to like take a jumper off of either foot, like one footed, like it's, it's gross. It's so gross. Um, Yeah. I I think my answer, my answer is either it's definitely Jordan and LeBron. And then it's one of Kareem or Kevin Durant is is my answer. Yeah. I'm rolling with, uh, with MJ LeBron and KD. Okay. Uh, Okay. So I found that question that you wanted and it's a great one from Josh. Josh. Pro Llama Cuddler on Twitter. Is Vegemite worth trying at least once for somebody who hasn't tried it before? So that's a question for me. The answer is yes. You you have never had Vegemite, I assume, right, Adam? Never touched the thing, no. It's very salty. Um we always have Vegemite in the house because Laura really enjoys Vegemite. Like she'll have it maybe three times a week, something like that. Like not every day, but you know, every maybe two times a week and you put it on like toast, you put some butter and cheese on it. It's pretty good. Like you, you can't just do it by itself, but if you throw it with some stuff, it's doable. It's, 
I don't hate it. Like it's, it's never going to be my choice over just like jam on toast, but yeah, you can do it. You can do it. That's a ringing enough of an endorsement for me to want to go try try it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you swung me maybe not as hard as like, I don't know. LaMarcus Aldridge for the Hall of Fame swung me, but like I'll I'll go out there and try some Vegemite. Why not? Worth it. Worth it at some point in your life, I would say. Very like weird, salty, like there's like a different it's hard to explain the flavor. There's more than saltiness to it. It's like almost like yeasty. I don't know. It's weird. It's very weird flavor. Um okay, our two typical end of podcast segments. Okay. What did you cook this week, Adam? Not a ton of cooking for me. A lot of late nights at work, coaches meetings, late night workouts, a couple things of of that nature. But uh, did end up making a really good three-egg omelet for uh, my my father, my wife, and myself this morning. Did some, you know, omelets, chives, uh, veggies in there. And then we also did uh, truffle home fries, just cooking Mm. a little bit of truffle oil. Really, really delicious. I still taste it a little bit in the inside of my mouth like 13 hours later, which probably means I used too much truffle oil. I was going to say, are you a big truffle person? I am. I, I do like the the strong, intense flavor of the truffle. Uh, mm-hmm. But that was that was probably the best thing we ended up making this week. You know, I'm going to do some sort of a braised, uh, braised beef this week and, and see what that turns out. I'm not quite sure what flavors we'll go with yet, but... I start traveling for work, uh, you know, about a week from now, I'll be on the the road a lot more doing Uh some admissions and recruitment. So I'm trying to squeeze in as many good meals that I can make at home as I can this, uh, this coming week here. What did you bake, Sam? You baked anything lately? I did. I baked a red velvet cake, uh, for my my mother-in-law's birthday this weekend, I'll have to send you some photos. It, it turned out really well. It actually turned out really, really good. Uh, I was very pleased with it. Uh, the other cool thing about like a red velvet cake is because you're using cream cheese frosting and it's way too hard to like manage cream cheese frosting. You don't have to like take the time to really, you know, even the sides as hard as you can and like have those sharp corners uh, to make it look good. You can just kind of let it, be you know not like not messy but not like the cleanest overall outlook on the whole thing so i had a great time making it it took me like two and a half hours it was the perfect little thing to make oh and the red velvet cake is in my opinion the best dessert so like you're you're two for two here yeah you you're baking things and everything you bring up on the pod is just like my absolute favorite so i'm getting (laughs) i'm step by step closer to booking that plane ticket to australia you watch there it is man Got to do it. You got to do it. Okay. Second, movies and TV shows. What have you been watching, Spins? I've had no time for any of that stuff since we last talked. Nope. Yeah, disappointing. Um, I will say this. I did catch a little bit of football the last couple days here. Really good upset Saturday in college football games. Got to see a few of those uh, as they were winding down. And then uh, I mentioned it at the beginning of, I think, part one of the podcast not wanting to talk about my football allegiances. I am a New York Jets fan. Uh, It's when I proposed to my 
now wife, I told her that she knows I will be loyal through and through because I have stayed a Jets fan my whole life. Uh, Yeah, it's tough. We got just obliterated today by the Baltimore Ravens. I live in Baltimore. I'm already getting emails and texts from coworkers rubbing it in. I'm just kind of going to put my head down at work tomorrow and hope that I, uh, I, avoid any shrapnel that comes my way yeah you're gonna have to uh you're gonna have to be quiet on that one you're yeah. just gonna have to live with it um you know what's funny like i will get into football at some point this year but the the more that i get older particularly with college football it's harder for me to keep up with college football i can't really do it anymore like i have too much going on to where I pay attention to it. I know what's going on. Um, like I watched some of the USC game like randomly. Cause like, I think they're good and like wanted to watch USC. Um, and I like, I, I like, I obviously watched like the Ohio state Notre Dame game a little bit. Like I've seen, like I've seen a couple of games here and there, but like I used to watch a lot of college football and I don't really do that as much anymore. Um, now I like just, watch a lot of basketball and taking up Australian football. There were great Australian football games this weekend. Like it's fun to like go to a bar and like watch those games with my wife um, or just like watch them at home with Laura. Um, also movies, right? Like it's hard to do all of 250 movies a year. Plus I've read 20. Let's see how many books here. I have a, I have a list of the books I read. Uh, I believe 22 now. I'm on in terms of books I've read this year. Like it, it's just hard to keep up with all of it. Um, and college football is the one that's like fallen by the wayside. I'll, I'll get into the NFL at some point this year though. Now movies watch two new 2022 releases. The first one, the second one I watched was beast, which is the new Idris Elba, like lion movie, which you've probably seen ads for. I, I would not recommend it. It was, it wasn't like a disaster. It was just silly and like exact. It was exactly what you think it is, basically. And I was just like, okay, this is fine. I didn't love it. The second one I watched was Orphan First Kill, which is a prequel to The Orphan, which came out in 2009. It's a horror movie. It is a wild ride. Like the first half of this movie is like pretty bad, to be honest. The second half of this movie is like almost perfect. Weirdly, uh, it is a like there is a twist. The twist is fucking batshit crazy because like that's the thing with the orphan the, in the first one. There's a twist. I'm not going to ruin the orphan for anyone, even though it came out 13 years ago. Um, there's a big twist that like changes the entire thing. I think that's what the goal of these movies is going to be going forward. Just do this twist. Right. Um, this one is batshit fucking crazy. It is from the, and from the moment it happens, you're like, Oh, I watch a lot of horror movies. I've probably seen like every big horror release this year. I've seen a lot of bad horror releases this year and it's hard to surprise me. It's hard to like, really get me on a twist this one i was like oh 
that's not where I thought this was going (laughs) and completely changes the tenor of the movie and makes it like actually really fun and really good. So I would totally recommend orphan first kill. Just get through the first 35 to 40 minutes and you will know exactly when like it changes. It, it it's there's a there's a point where it changes and you will know when it changes. And I would just ask you get through to there and you will be like okay good. I'm in now. Sam, you you have a future in sales in some regard if you <laughs> ever if you ever want it because you sold the shit out of that movie. It's a it's a wild ride. It's a wild ride. Uh I see like I think I'm pretty bad at sales typically, but this one was a uh this one was a fun one. Uh, spins. That's where we're at. We've podcasted for two and a half hours tonight. I knew this was going to happen. That's why I did the two part episode. Um, tell me, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Sam. Always a blast getting together and doing this. Uh, find me everybody at the box and one underscore on Twitter, Adam Spinella on YouTube or my Substack, the box and one dot substack.com going to be going a lot deeper into the overtime elite and mega matchup that we talked about on part one of the podcast actually might be out right around the time that part two gets released with some uh, additional videos coming out throughout the week. And then this is the time of year to really start diving into NBA and college previews. So uh, it might seem a little early or, or premature in some circles. I know that with the NBA, there's some roster moves that probably likely need to happen between now and the start of the the year. But uh, we're going to start diving into that stuff and uh, really looking forward to meeting with you next week and going over some more awesome draft stuff. So this is going to be a big podcast week for us. Yeah. Um, there will be at least four episodes of the game theory podcast this week. I know I only did, I think one or two last week, but this is, this is going to be a, we're making up for it uh, this week. Uh, there's obviously these two episodes that spins and I did. Uh, I have an awards preview episode coming up, uh, like particularly for my gambling bent uh, that will come out on Wednesday, probably. And then the first of a yearly two part uh, episode that, uh, gets released will come out later this week maybe friday something like that uh important episode one of my favorites to record every year but that'll be it this is where we're at and until next time we'll talk soon